welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pelvic Health Podcast. We've got a great episode today. So a part of what I wanted to do this year was to highlight some of the amazing physiotherapists that we have here in Australia. So today we actually have Dr. Judith Thompson. So she's a specialist continence and women's health physiotherapist, which is now known as a specialist men's, women's and pelvic health physiotherapist, which is awarded by the Australian Physiotherapy Association. And she's a fellow of the Australian College of Physiotherapists within this area and was awarded that in 2008. She's been practicing in the area of continence and women's health since 1992, and she completed her PhD at Curtin University in Perth, Australia in 2006, where she was investigating the use of real-time ultrasound as a method for assessing women with pelvic floor dysfunctions. She's the current coordinator and lecturer at Curtin University on the postgraduate master's program in clinical physiotherapy of continence and women's health. She's also currently practicing as a specialist continence and women's health physio in private practice at Bodylogic Physiotherapy in Perth, Western Australia, alongside Peter O'Sullivan, who was just recently on our podcast as well. So you better go back and listen to that one if you haven't. Now, Judith has presented at many national and international conferences. She has 14 papers printed in international peer review journals, and all of her papers that she's published, I'll have a list on the show notes so that if you haven't read any of them, which um, I hope within this field, if you've been in it for a little while, you have. Um, But if you haven't, you will will need to read them because they're excellent. So today's podcast, we discussed kind of how she came to get into this field, how she started studying and treating the pelvic floor as a system rather than just solely looking at pelvic floor muscles and the squeezing pressure and contraction, how she uses real-time ultrasound and its relationship to intra-abdominal pressure to help her with her assessments and treatments of various pelvic floor dysfunctions. And she gave some really good tips if people have a real-time ultrasound machine and are able to have a look at the bladder, what they might look out for, even if they're not able to do internals and when to refer on. We discussed her research on intra-abdominal pressure and her latest paper on the advice on whether women should or should not do sit-ups. Then we had a great discussion about the different programs that Curtin University offers. So if anybody's in Australia, even international students, if you're interested in getting into this field, uh, we discuss how you can get into the different programs at Curtin, what they're about, the kind of things that you learn. 
Closer to the end, we also discuss her other passion, which is pelvic pain. We've done a few pelvic pain podcasts, and it was one of the topics that I wanted to discuss with her. But of course, within an hour, we don't have all the time in the world. So today we decided to focus on more of the ultrasound and intra-abdominal pressure, but she's just got so much great information to share. So I really hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Pelvic Floor Exercise. Pelvic Floor Exercise is Australia's trusted online pelvic floor store bringing together the very best pelvic floor rehabilitation products available on the market to make choosing and buying easy and discreet. Backed by the clinical knowledge and medical buying experience of the owners, husband and wife team Fiona and Craig Rogers, you are assured of quality and excellent customer service. Secondary to product sales, the website has an ever-growing resource section for both customers and health professionals, as well as a strong social media presence, fulfilling Fiona's extreme passion for educating and helping men and women with pelvic health issues. So check out www.pelvicfloorexercise.com.au. So hi, Judith, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Larry. Um, All right, so I thought we could start with a little bit of history about how you kind of got to where you are, Um, and I know that you've you've done a PhD, and if you can kind of tell me where you've done the PhD through, and a little bit about what your PhD work was on. Okay, well, um, I got into women's health, um, like most, quite a lot of women's health physios, around the time when I had my kids. So my daughter was uh, six months old and I started the uh, course at Curtin and so I did, um, at then it wasn't a master's, it was a, um, a graduate diploma in women's health and was working very happily away and Peter O'Sullivan is a, a great old friend of mine who we worked together in New Zealand um, and so we've been friends for a long time and he was doing some research looking at um, chronic pelvic uh, girdle pain and part of that was using the real-time ultrasound to look at the diaphragm and then he moved the ultrasound head down and saw the pelvic floor and the bladder and said whoa Judith you better come and talk to me about this what what's what what do you think's happening here and I just oh that was opening a door for me once I saw the ultrasound I just thought oh my goodness you can watch the pelvic floor work. This is so exciting. And that was about the same time uh, that Mark Sherburn in um, Melbourne was doing some transabdominal ultrasound too. It was amazing in two different places. We had uh, uh, similar work going on and I, I just loved it. It was just such a great biofeedback. And I'd never seen it before, so I started, luckily I was in a hospital that um, had uh, obstetric patients, so I asked the obstetrician, can I borrow the ultrasound? And he said, yeah, sure. So I had open access to an ultrasound, and I just started taking my patients through and looking on the ultrasound, and was amazed how many people were bearing down when they were tightening their pelvic floor instead of lifting up. And to that point, we'd really just thought about strengthening the pelvic floor. So there we were working to do maximal contractions and trying to strengthen. And suddenly I thought, oh, gosh, uh, even myself, I, I 
found it really hard to elevate because I'm really strong through the abdominal wall and, and uh, was just fascinated by this. So I talked to one of the um, uh, urogynecologists saying, do you realize a lot of people bear down when they're doing their pelvic floors? And so he said, well, how many people? So I went and looked at all the people. I'd ultrasounded 104 people and 43% uh, were bearing down and that was my first paper. So um, and Peter just said to me, oh, well, you'll have to write that up, that's a paper. And suddenly, there I was, I was writing a paper having never really considered an academic career, but with his support and mentoring, um, that was my first step. And then, of course, it was the question of why are some people bearing down and why do some people elevate? So then I started a long journey <laughs> towards a PhD. And so, um, uh, again, my original thought for my PhD was, wouldn't it be great if every woman going for her 18-week ultrasound got screened to see if she was elevating the pelvic floor or, or not able to and could have been referred on to physio? Um, uh, but, of course, you, when you do a PhD, you have to go back to the basics so thinking of validation, what does it actually mean? What compared to the gold standard, which is transperineal ultrasound? What, when we see bladder descent on transabdominal, what does that mean on transperineal? And then started my journey into, um, into looking at, at that and my whole, um, as I say, uh, journey into, into writing papers and, and uh, trying to actually be precise and answer research questions, which is quite different from my clinical brain. So were you doing clinical work at the same time as you did all of that? Yeah, yeah. so I was working clinically um, and uh, um, started in more the anti-postnatal uh, area, I took all the, you know, anti-postnatal classes and then having finished my curtain uh, course, I was uh, doing a lot of individual treatments, mainly in the continence field. Um, at that time, we hadn't even really thought about pelvic pain and all those things, which now is probably my the majority of my day is much more uh, um, towards the pain because they're probably the more complex patients I see and find really um, challenging. But at that time, uh, uh, we we were really um, very focused on continence and prolapse and strengthening the pelvic floor and so that really interested me that for some people we were actually doing something which was actually probably making their bladder urgency or their prolapse worse because as they did their pelvic floor they were just bearing down. Yeah. Um, and so that, again, led us into under, trying to understand intra-abdominal pressure and what effect that has on the pelvic floor. And um, so what, what is it that, that helps the pelvic floor to elevate? Um, and the interest in the abdominal wall and looking rather than down at the pelvic floor, which as women's health physios we'd been much more looking downwards towards the pelvic floor, sort of lifting our heads up and look at the diaphragm, breathing patterns and abdominal wall and how we could get the correct pelvic floor elevating contraction. 
and uh, that's uh, to this day really is my first starting point with every patient um, is to go for that correct elevating pelvic floor contraction that can lift and can relax completely and obviously when we're talking more about pain that relaxation side is mm -hmm. so important but again with bladder urgency um, even prolapse some people are actually um, overactive and actually it's the relaxation we've got to start with you can't strengthen a stiff muscle you've got to have that muscle moving through its full range and doing working with the abdominal wall and the and the diaphragm to be able to then strengthen into a good pattern yeah and so i find it quite fascinating that you know with my time right now within the women's health well, the pelvic health field, we have so much, well, I feel like there's at least a really good database of research that we can go through that I feel like you and many other women have kind of set the stage for us. But when you were trying to work all of this out, what kind of things did you have available to you? Like, was there a lot of research at that time? Um, as far as the abdominal wall, uh, that was also around the time that Ruth Sapsford and Sue Markle, who were my great mentors, um, uh, were thinking about how the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall work together. And um, obviously, Kari Bow had really set the scene for women's health. She had um, done some amazing research more towards stress incontinence and training the pelvic floor showing that you know that physio did have a place which in those early days at the conferences you know physio was just seen as such a small thing and people like Pauline Shirelli and Kari Bo really um, you know got that uh, uh, sort of first credibility of uh, yes you know physios have got a place and then I went to a workshop with uh, Ruth Sapsford and Sue Markwell who were working up in Queensland and they were really interested in how the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall went to and I just went, oh, that was the most brilliant workshop I've ever been to and it completely changed my my life, you know. It was I, I saw the whole uh, abdominal cylinder and from that day I've always thought of, uh, about how the pelvic floor sits with the with the cylinder but then when I got the ultrasound it's almost like with the transabdominal ultrasound you see the bladder as that central part of the cylinder and you can understand how the pressures affect the bladder so you can really work with someone to see how they control their pressures and um, uh, and to really get that that sense of of, of closure and lift from the base of the pelvis rather than over recruiting at that upper abdominal wall. So I think they they were my early mentors and then um, uh, Ruth did her uh, study with the pelvic floor and the TA working together and well that that set off a whole another journey that has completely gone through every uh, um, uh, fitness professional and uh, core training um, which sort of took on a life of its own which wasn't all good um, but it was probably the best advert that we've had for 
um, being able to talk about the pelvic floor and in a much more um, open way with people coming to Pilates we say well your pelvic floor is part of this core and it's important and I think you know as a marketing campaign it was the best thing that could have ever happened to us <laughs> but then um, a lot of people felt that you could train the pelvic floor by just doing uh, your core work and there's still a misconception to this day that that the pelvic floor and um, uh, and the and the transverse abdominals always work in synergy. They do in some people, and that's fantastic. If it does, we can really use that. Um, but often, people uh, when they do a pelvic floor contraction, um, they may not have that co-activation with the abdominal wall. Um, and really, the only way to to do is to test it if you're going to yeah. use it and a lot of people are using it without testing it and actually sometimes bearing down because they're using too much of the abdominal wall without that good pelvic floor recruitment so um i think we spent a long time you know there was this sort of like massive <laughs> increase in people doing all this core stuff which as i say was great because people were talking about it but often perhaps done a little bit incorrectly and misinterpreted by um yeah by people through, uh, in in all walks of the fitness industry and physio industry yeah and so, meaning uh, me, they mean well as in i've i exactly. think i've met a, a few fitness professionals or pilates instructors that it was like you said it was their leeway into you know talking to their clients or trying to help their clients with pelvic floor issues but not having to even say or talk about pelvic floor like one Pilates instructor I had met she was so lovely she would always use you know the abdominal cues because she did not feel comfortable herself talking about pelvic floor she didn't even want to say the cue pelvic floor so in her mind she felt she was addressing it through the abdominal yeah. wall and I'm like I, I get where you're coming from but it gets tricky yeah and I think I mean I try and uh, get out and talk to um, fitness professionals the Continents Foundation did a, a great marketing thing uh, with Pelvic Floor First which is now yeah. needs to be revised and uh, that's all in the, in the pipeline because some of the things that we thought five, uh, seven years ago, we have better research and understanding now, but it was to actually really make the, the um, fitness professionals think of the pelvic floor first. And that was how, you know, because we, we had so many people doing this core and not thinking of the pelvic floor. It was uh, a great campaign to try and get some information out to the to people because we had so many fitness professionals so interested. I mean, whenever I go and talk anywhere, the, the interest is just phenomenal. It's just great. Yeah. <laughs> and just um, trying to uh, get that balance. And I mean, even, you know, I treat a lot of physios who, who and, and everyone that comes on our curtain course, the first thing you've got to do is learn how to do your own pelvic floor um, uh, exercises correctly. And there's lots of people that um, struggle with that. So, um, you know, if we as interested pelvic health physios still 
um, find it difficult to get that elevating pelvic floor contraction where you can breathe and hold and do quick ones and relax properly. Yeah, it's a complex skill, especially yeah. for muscles you can't see. And for most of the public, until they maybe look on ultrasound, they they have no concept of what that feels or looks like. Yeah. So do you use ultrasound with your patients as well as um, digital examinations? Or do you, yeah. depending so, on the person, you use either or both? I would do an ultrasound on every patient I see. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always tell me the answer, but it will tell me... Uh, a lot of things that um, uh, and, and particularly that pressure in the cylinder so um, I'm I, yes every patient my my receptionist asks people to come with some fluid in their bladder and um, uh, for pain patients even again it's a it's a kind introduction to where your pelvic floor is and can you find it and people get very excited if they can if they can't then I move on pretty quickly from that. There's no point spending ages of time trying because people just try harder and harder to do it and they'll get less and less movement with the ultrasound. So, so if you're using 2D ultrasound? I just use the transabdominal ultrasound. Yep. Um, over the top I, of their bladder. Over the top of their bladder. Yep. And what I'll, uh, my uh, first, obviously, having spent some time with the model, explaining where their pelvic floor is in relation to the core, I'll take them over to the ultrasound and get them to try and get that elevating contraction. Are they relaxing well? Can they get that uh, lift from below? And often in people in lying can't if they're very dominant through the upper abdominal wall. You can stand them up and then you can show, yeah, in standing we can get this lift, but in lying you were using a lot of your tummy, which if you're um, lying on the reformer doing your Pilates and, and using that upper abdominal strategy, then maybe that you may be bearing down on your pelvic floor and that might be why uh, you find it hard to get that sense of that lift through the pelvis. So, But I, I do a lot of functional stuff with the ultrasound, so I'll get them to do an abdominal curl up and, and uh, lifting their legs. If they're a yoga instructor doing double leg lowering or whatever, I'll, I'll look at whatever their, um, uh, what function they're finding difficult or feeling their prolapse symptoms when that I do this sort of exercise. Let's look at it. Let's see what's happening. And can we teach you to correct it? Or if not, we can um, teach you the exercises and then use it as a reassessment tool. What's your control like? Do you want to go back to the gym and do this? Well, we need to see that your pelvic muscles can control that. Yeah. And do you take measurements like with the bladder base on the screen or are you just looking for... <laughs> What's that? Again. In the ideal world, and I teach all the students to do it, so <laughs> now I've blown it on the podcast. I'm no. looking, I, I'm, as far as how much something lifts is not really, I mean, the fact that you've got that elevating strategy is much more important. If you've got a lot, a lot of fascial laxity, you'll lift a lot. Now, that's not always a good thing because that means that you need better muscle control to control that be that bigger lift. Yeah. If you've never had a baby and uh, you've got quite a tighter fascia, you might not have very much of a lift. 
or if you don't have much of a lift, are you using a lot of abdominal bracing strategies? So um, the, the ultrasound is only meaningful in terms of the context of, of the assessment of what you're looking at with someone. Uh, and if somebody's got a good lift, well, you can feel sure that they're using a good strategy. If they haven't, you've got to work out, is that because it's the abdominal wall um, or is it a tighter pelvic floor can't lift or is it a weak pelvic floor? And so usually then I'll do a vaginal assessment with anyone that is willing to um, uh, to consent to that. And I see a lot of men too, so otherwise uh, we may use transperineal ultrasound. I use that much more on the men, uh, post-prostatectomy. Um, uh, but often with a lady, if, if it's prolapse and stuff, I'm going to assess that digitally and visually. Um, so I'll usually do a vaginal examination to put with my ultrasound. But often when people come back for a return visit, we'll start with the ultrasound and see what's changed. Can you control that pressure now? Can you lift that pelvic floor? Can you do quick ones? Can you hold? And it's a lovely way for people to see, oh my gosh, I have improved. Oh yeah, I couldn't do that last time. So I find it quite encouraging to use. Yeah, and I, and get, it, I get asked a lot by other musculoskeletal physios and some fitness professionals, if they've got access to an ultrasound, can they use these techniques to try to assess what's happening with someone's pelvic floor so how do you feel about um, other health professionals using it as a tool so I think with anything the tools as good as the person that's interpreting the the information so if you've got limited information then you can use it as a screening tool yeah to then refer so, yeah. yeah. So if you're a Pilates instructor and you want to know your clients going into your class, can they do a pelvic floor? Well, it's a great non-invasive way to do a screen. If you start trying to then interpret a whole load of stuff, if you're not really quite sure what you're looking at, that I think um, some of the people have come and they go, oh, it's terrible. I've been to Pilates. They tell me I haven't got a pelvic floor. I can't lift my pelvic floor. And you know that I should come and see you which is great because I've sent them on which is perfect and wonderful um, but often they can't do it in line but I stand them up and they've got a beautiful pelvic floor lift um, uh, because um, the person didn't know how to take them through to the next step but that was fine they sent them to a physio which is perfect yeah. um, so you know as a screening tool I think it's great and um a lot, uh, again, uh, for that population, there are some people that really don't feel comfortable with a vaginal assessment and really put off having treatment because they feel quite nervous about that and really don't want that. So it's absolutely lovely to be able to support someone in a very safe environment, to feel like you don't even have to get undressed, that we can still help you. Um, and I see, do see teenagers, I see children, um, and so that's a perfect way to introduce people to their pelvic floor in a very, uh, very supportive environment. Yeah, and so if you're seeing, say, like a young girl who's not yet sexually active, maybe he's not had her period yet, um, again, that would be a perfect person yeah, that perfect. probably doesn't want a vaginal exam. 
if you were trying, how would you work out then? If you are looking at her bladder and there's no movement, so there's no lift, and you're trying to work out, is it poor abdominal wall strategies versus an unrelaxing pelvic floor? How do you do that from like an external point of view with the ultrasound? Yeah, and that's tricky, and that comes down to experience where, you know, my palpation skills from the outside are probably... Plus, I've put the story if somebody can't use tampons and they're coming, or, or they've got voiding dysfunction, they've you know they've got a slow flow and they've got a post-void residual. You're already thinking about relaxing. Yeah. So, I usually would start on a down training strategy, yeah. and reassess in a week. And often then we've got a little bit of movement if we've taught them how to relax their pelvic floor better and and move better and. Yeah, so, but they're the tricky patients. They're, they're not easy, but to, again, um, uh, you've got to add up your story to the picture. You've got to look at the abdominal wall. Um, you can palpate over the perineum with somebody fully clothed, just lying inside, lying and, and having uh, palpation on the perineum or getting uh, the girl to, or teenager to pop their, their own hand on their perineum and to feel when they try and do a pelvic floor um, to do a very non-invasive uh, assessment and then often once you've got a bit of action then you can reinforce that with the ultrasound but sometimes we have to put that away right that's not telling us anything yeah. Uh, yeah. let's let's use our eyes and and our hands and our physio skills that <laughs> that we um, so that we can uh, actually look at the patient and see what's actually happening. Are they bracing their tummy and holding their breath? Um, um, have they come with a story that's leading you more to um, uh, a fact of, a, of an overactive pelvic floor? Sometimes, you know, if you've got a gymnast that's a teenage gymnast that's leaking, you don't know is that underactive or overactive. So. You, you go for the perfect contraction, which is elevating and relaxing as best you can and start trying to train them up and see what happens. So do you ever assess them in like a handstand? <laughs> like what would be the most awkward position you had to get into with your ultrasound? No, I mean, I to be, I've got my hands and my eyes that are probably, um, you know, uh, as good. I like to show them. So things like the yoga teachers with the double leg lowering and those sort of things, I, I, I find that quite useful because that's actually, they can take that right into their practice and think about what they're doing and they can see that maybe that's not the best thing for their prolapse at the moment um, which is hard when you you do something that you love you don't always want to be told that perhaps this isn't the best thing to do so you sit-ups or, or whatever people think if, if you just tell people no don't do sit-ups but you don't actually give them a rationale for that and often they oh, well, I'll go to another physio because I want to do sit-ups. <laughs> yeah. So you've actually got to, you've got to make it make sense. You've got to make it real. You've got to make it to that patient and their goals. What do you want to achieve? And then I can talk through with, once I've done the ultrasound and the, um, the digital assessment, how do we help you reach your goal? Um, and occasionally you get someone whose pelvic floor is so weak or you've got a wider um, hiatus that you have to counsel them that maybe the exercise they're choosing 
isn't the best one for them for their pelvic floor at the moment but always yeah and it's sort of like a footballer that injures their knee they don't want to hear they can't go back to high level um, uh, football and they have to have a grieving process over that some women with their pelvic floor have to come to terms with that maybe the type of exercise they did before isn't the best thing for their pelvic floor as it is now can we train it up so you can get back to that that's one thing and some people you can and you can support with a prolapse uh, with a pessary or something while you're training someone up or sometimes you're having to help people make choices that probably give them longevity for their pelvic floor and especially if people are exercisers you want to keep them exercising mm, yeah. <laughs> As I, I, I always say to the girls at the curtain course don't tell people not to exercise actually modify it to their pelvic floor we want everybody exercising exercise is so good for your mental health your physical health how do we work with you to get you to 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 get the best out of your pelvic floor and your exercise so it suits you for life hey everyone i hope you're enjoying the podcast it would be lovely if you could review on iTunes, which just allows the app to be found by more people. Um, it's just a little bit frustrating to do. So if you're using the Apple iTunes app, you need to actually go into the app and then go to the search tab like you don't even know we exist. Enter the name, the Pelvic Health Podcast, and then um, there is a reviews tab that you can click on and then you tap write a review you might have to enter your password then you can put the number of stars that you want to put hopefully you're enjoying it and you have the option to put some written feedback there if you like so please 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 go and review thank you and now I promise I won't bug you again can you can you tell me a bit more about the courses that you've got at curtain are you are you program director so um, when I did the Curtin course initially, it was run by Sue Jones, who um, started the postgraduate course there at Curtin, and quite a few of us went through at that time, but then she actually left the School of Physio and there was no one to teach it. Um, and so um, when I finished my PhD, which I thought would be six months sooner than it was, but um, <laughs> we restarted. Uh, so it's actually 11 years this August um, that we started um, the um, uh, Curtin. Um, um, it's a graduate certificate or master's course. So that was in 2006. And um, Anne Andrews, who um, went through uh, her curtain course with me and myself, we, we got it running again and started it up and um, had a very enthusiastic bunch of our first students who a lot of them have gone on now to be our curtain tutors. So uh, Irina Nurkic is now um, the course coordinator. I only work a day and a half for curtain and so... Um, that most of that is taken up in my teaching and uh, supervising at the clinics which I love where we go and we go out to the hospitals and the continence clinics and I see uh, patients with with the students um, and we we talk through what what would we do with this lady what 
prolapse is that? What you know? What are you finding here? And it's a great way of learning. Uh, and the patients are so generous with their time; um, they they're quite happy to have uh, us uh, work with them uh, as a team with two students and and a supervisor. There we we work out how we can help them uh, uh, best, and so. And then I also supervise some of the research projects. So our, our Curtin uh, course is really, uh, if you're going to do the grad, graduate certificate, it's equivalent of full-time for one semester, and the full master's is full-time for a year, which is equivalent to the sports and musk uh, um, clinical master's. Um, most of our students do it part-time. We have some overseas students come and do it in a year because their visa requires them to do that. Um, but we advise people to do it part-time because you're taking in so much information. It's not like Sport and Musk where you've got that basis from undergrad and you're topping up. For a lot of people, this is new information and there's so much information. <laughs> so is the master's kind of set out like, is are the is the, the grad cert different to no. the content is for the master's? Cert? No, no. So that's the first four units. So our core units are advanced evidence-based practice, which helps you be that postgraduate consumer of research. And understanding that every uh, study, uh, you know, you read a lot more into it once you start analysing, actually, uh, is the author's conclusion exactly, you know, uh, what does the data say? And, Rather and than look, taking it at face value. Exactly. Did they have a control group? Did they, you know, blind their assessors? You know, all this stuff that you start uh, understanding a bit better once you look at the advanced evidence-based practice. And then our core units are the pelvic floor muscle um, rehab unit, which is assessment and management of all pelvic floor muscle uh, conditions, so continence, pain, um, prolapse, uh, sexual dysfunction, uh, really looking at from a pelvic floor point of view. And then our women through the life stages, which is looking at conditions which are more common in women, more serious in women. So obviously childbirth takes up a big portion of that, the anti-postnatal, but looking at adolescence and uh, um, uh, right through to menopause and the um, uh, pelvic and gynae cancers. And um, then the continence unit, which is looking at men, women and children um, uh, continence. And, and we also look at men pelvic pain in that okay, too. Yeah. So, um, uh, and hopefully with time, our men's content will grow. Um, we definitely do a lot on, you know, post-prostatectomy, which would be sort of our little equivalent to the childbearing years, sort of the big change in your pelvic floor. But we're we're looking um, at at uh, at that. We do um, uh, a, a male weekend where we concentrate um, just on the men's uh, conditions and. We also look at the paediatric because we need a lot more paediatric um, continence physios out there and there's an absolute need for them. So if anyone's passionate about um, kids and continence, we need you because there's, um, this is one area that we really need to be developing. 
what are uh, the um, what are the prerequisites for coming uh, for doing a postgraduate course? Yeah. Or? It's really being a, a physio and having had some clinical experience. Obviously, if you've had some clinical experience in the men's, women's and pelvic health and uh, even if like for people that have done pediatrics, um, again, there's, uh, you know, that gives you good uh, information and then you've got to add the continence part. But um, yeah, so we definitely, and we've uh, got a, um, um, a gentleman on our course this year which is great and I know there's been several go through the Melbourne course so we do want um, more men coming into the field of continence and that's great to have uh, the interest through there. I still um, feel like we need so many more men treating men like I know women we can do it just you know very well but as a as a man like if I was a man and I wanted treatment you know to have that at least have that option of seeing someone of the same sex who has the same yeah. body parts I think would be nice yeah I think I think it's um yeah it's great and I, I can see it happening it's increasing all the time there's a lot yeah. more talk and chatter around that and so that's that's a really uh, great and with the renaming of the group that's reflecting it but we have said oh the kids we've got to get the kids going too and um, we had some very passionate people in Janet Chase and Wendy Bauer um, who led the drive very early on for Kids Continents and we were just discussing at an APA meeting at the weekend how we really need to to get more uh, physios into that Kids Continents um, area. So that's another little mission as well. So people can so, do just a post-grad cert in paediatrics? Continent. No, no, it's it's okay. all because again, learning about the whole bladder. You need to know bladder, it all. You need to know it all, yeah. and actually, learning about pediatric continence is, you know, that's how we develop, and uh, so you really, I I learned so much learning about kids' continence that has helped in treating adults because you understand if someone's had continence issues as a child. Um, uh, what pattern that sets in their bladder for maybe later in life or, or bowel problems uh, and uh, constipation and stuff, you know, as a kid affects yeah. you as an adult. So uh, so those are, yeah, all the things we cover in the... And then if you go on to do your master's, um, there's um, the clinics to do, there's research to do, and then an optional unit, which... We're very flexible on on what that is. Um, we have an amazing pain unit um, uh, at Curtin. Uh, Associate Professor Helen Slater is one leading pain uh, uh, physiotherapist, and she runs a great unit with the musculoskeletal and sports, which a lot of our students do. Really looking at pain in a bigger perspective, which you can bring back into your practice. But also Trish Newman's um, new course she started in Adelaide uh, would also go for that optional unit if you wanted to go more into prolapse and pessary fitting. Um, that can be credited to your master's too. So what's the prerequisite for the master's then? So the, for the master's, you uh, again, those first four core okay. units, yep. 
you then go on to um, uh, to do uh, another four to actually complete the masters. So you have to have done the core units to then move on to masters. But um, yeah, as I say, it's all very flexible and. Most people are having children or working round, working part-time, having kids or uh, <laughs> coming in and out. We've got lots of babies. We've had lots of pregnancies and people come backwards and forwards, do another little unit in between one and two. And, then <laughs> and so how do you fit a research unit into that? So the research unit um, is uh, broken into two sections. One's uh, uh, the research proposal and gaining ethics and the uh, second unit's actually your data collection and writing up an article. And so that's why we have to do sort of little bite-sized projects. Um, but I feel very proud at the conferences, the uh, Continents Foundation Conference and the APA. We always have several of our students, you know, uh, uh, presenting some of their hard hard work which <laughs> if you chat to any of them it's a it's and you know yourself Laurie now uh, um, doing research there's a lot that goes on behind that well, one that's little what I'm trying to work out how you do from start to finish within a year you said within yeah. a year yeah so wow. you're in a research group um, yeah. we did have quite a few people I mean they're doing things like auditing we've had people looking at kids continents in rural places They've run uh, uh, questionnaires through private practice of does people with back pain have uh, more uh, continence problems than people with shoulder and knee coming to physio for all those other things, you know. So we've had some interesting uh, projects. We've also done the one that uh, you were talking to me about, about the sit-ups and uh, looking at... Um, uh, intra-abdominal pressure we were made, we were lucky the doctors let us go into urodynamics and get people to add sit-ups to their normal urodynamic procedure so they already um, had the pressure transducers in place in place yeah so we talked them into doing the sit-ups that's why we could only do uh, add one because uh, they already do the cough and the valsalva so we added the sit-up we wanted to do all these other things but they said no that's going to take too long so we we went with uh, looking at uh, sit-ups and found a huge variability in people with dysfunction um, when they do a sit-up some people it was absolutely fine no problem at all and other people were generating enormous intra-abdominal pressure so so did yeah, you the, regulate how they did a sit-up? Like, was it more of a crunch where they're coming halfway up? Was that we couldn't do a full sit-up because some of the patients weren't able, would not have been able to do that. Yeah. Um, but we did um, a standardised abdominal curl um, and everybody was able to do that. So we could um, have some parity across the whole uh, group but yeah did, did you change like how they breathe or did you just let them do whatever no so we we did actually give them standard instructions though um, some of the studies have shown no difference on whether you exhale or not hmm. um, the, there's very little difference in the pressure um, between the two when we're looking at normals so that's um, I think it was uh, we it was a lot quite a few people have done sit-ups but um, particularly when they did with breath holding and without yeah. there's very little difference but we gave everybody the same uh, instructions 
And um, as I say, it seems to be the way the task is done, not the task itself. But some tasks lend more, as I say, jumping, uh, high-impact type tasks do seem to increase intra-abdominal pressure more. Upright positions, you've got an increase in intra-abdominal pressure, but just standing up, you've got an increase in intra-abdominal pressure. So what was, if, what was the verdict on the, the sit-ups? That, again, um, if we say no sit-ups, that's restrictive for some people that could be doing them quite happily. Yeah. But in some people, they they could be doing quite a lot of damage to um, their pro or increasing their prolapse or... Um, putting pressure onto their pelvic floor if um, they have a weak pelvic floor and can't contain that pressure um, and we really need to understand more about it. So um, we're at the moment looking at um, looking at sit-ups with the pre-contraction of the neck and also looking at intra-abdominal pressure and, and bladder neck position. Yeah. Um, yeah at the same time so we can under, try and understand it better but we've it'll take us a while <laughs> all yeah. research so long <laughs> even just d setting it up getting the equipment getting the patients doing normals because you've got to look at normals first and then we're going to look at um, people with incontinence and prolapse and what actually is different but my thought is that even within that group there'll be Depends how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Because if you've got a wide hiatus and a large prolapse, then it probably is significant. If you don't, then probably it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, um, that's what the interesting thing with intra-abdominal pressure I found was we, I'm so glad that we have all this focus and all these different ways that we can measure it. But again, you're like, well, but then what? how's the body responding to that? And how is that whole cylinder and everything else working to control the pressure because like you said some people will do the same movement and it's either really high or really low so we've got to work out why yeah exactly the, that's the, the question why and is it the strategy and we're looking at how you use your abdominal wall if you're stronger in your upper abdominals and you don't have that support of the lower abdominals um, that seems to be clinically what the, the significant thing is. If you can get people to develop that pelvic floor lower abdominal strength and that closure of the hiatus, the closure of the hiatus is really key. So it's not just doing a pelvic floor contraction because you can, a lot of people have got quite a strong pubo rectalis doing a closing the hiatus in an AP direction, but they're not getting that lateral closure. Mm. And that's really important that they're getting that lateral closure of the hiatus so that otherwise um, often you, you, you're not actually getting that elevation of the pelvic floor. Do you not find, though, that the more that you look into, the more questions you end up with? Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> and that's why I love teaching the students because nothing's ever static because yeah. people come with more questions. And we don't have the answers. We're actually a, a very new field in, in, in some senses that we're just so much to know and we just don't know the answers. But um, it's, it's, you know, we know a lot more than we did when I started in the area 25 years ago. So <laughs> um, 
and uh, uh, it's lovely to see, you know, uh, the APA tells us we're one of the fastest growing groups now, and there's, but we've got evidence-based practice that pelvic floor muscle uh, training helps stress incontinence, helps prolapse, and we're heading to understand more about that, the whole pain uh, area that's really 20 years behind the continence area. And still we so, still know so little about uh, pelvic floor and overactive bladder and we've got so much to offer there, but the research just isn't, um, as far as pelvic floor muscle training, isn't there um, uh, in as much detail as we've got it for stress incontinence. So, um, Are you doing any research on the pain side of things? Because you said that's your other passion is um, treating the pelvic pain side. Yeah, that's such a hard area to research. Yes. And uh, I, I take my hat off to Melanie Morin in Canada who's done just such an amazing job of looking at, doing, at designing a great randomised control trial, um, uh, looking at the Vulvodynia group. Uh, but, and she had such great numbers. And uh, in the master's projects, we just can't get... Uh, to ever recruit that number of people but um, I do have someone that's interested uh, in doing the PhD in that area and I, um, I'm really hoping that that will come off at some stage so that this area is just such an interesting area but it's very hard to research because there are so many factors and uh, I know you talked to Peter about the cognitive functional therapy and yeah. You know, brain, body, body, brain, uh, biomechanics, uh, uh, local factors, regional factors, um, and those uh, other cognitive behavioral factors are also. So, how do you research that when it's actually an incredible soup? Um, and uh, I think language is uh, one of the most important things of how things are explained to people. Um, has a huge effect on their outcome. Yeah. So the people yeah. that have been told they've got a prolapse and are absolutely devastated about it can create a, um, a feeling of a prolapse being absolutely huge just by worrying about it. Um, and the same in pain. If your pain is unexplained, it's, it feels really threatening. So... Um, I love being able to try and help people uh, through that journey of trying to understand the complex nature of pain and how in their situation it may, uh, one factors, you know, all the different factors may be adding up. It's like a crossword puzzle trying to work out <laughs> um, what's actually going on and so that appeals to my brain to always every day be challenged to think oh my gosh what's happening here <laughs> yeah do you ever do you think too you know how um like the physio profession seems to um well i know we've still got a long way to go but there's quite a lot of people that i talk to or at least in my circles that are aware of um the science behind pain and the language that we use but we at least i see in a lot of my patients that some of that language will come from other health practitioners or um, doctors or other medical professionals, do they do they have a chance to learn this information or like when are they going to get to where we are or are we ahead? 
<laughs> yeah, and as I said, I think in every profession you've got people that are really understanding pain well now and we've got the science to back up things that David Butler and Laura Mosley were telling us 20 years ago but we've actually got the science to, to show why. Um, uh, but uh, I think it's, it's working with a team of people that... Um, uh, work together well. I work with some amazing doctors and uh, psychologists and uh, again I think you know uh, it's it's having that uh, multidisciplinary uh, approach and, and knowing the people that are going to speak a similar language to support the patient always whatever we do to try and make that person feel valued and supported on their difficult journey you know through the health system because it's complex <laughs> and um, it's uh, it, it can be really challenging for people and I and I feel you know a lot of my really lovely patients that I've really uh, felt very privileged to support I've, I've had to stick with them a couple of years to really help them through their journey so it's actually seeing that as physios we've got a lot to offer as a, as a support and coach and uh, taking them through and helping them work through the health system, which is often sometimes challenging. <laughs> yeah. From the sounds of it, it sounds a little bit easier in Australia than in some places in North America, so I'm, I'm happy I'm here. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, and as I say, there's a, a great wave of, you know, there's a pain special interest group in the physios and uh, as a, luckily working with Pete in the same practice we share a lot of knowledge everything that he's been really doing in the um, back and pelvic pain area we've been able to um, uh, use into it just makes all total sense in in the uh, women and men's pel pelvic health area too and um, it's like yeah. the pain signs have seemed to be really receptive into including the pelvis, yeah, and other yeah. parts of the body. I just did a, a, I just filled out a survey online. Someone was it from the Noi group? Someone was doing a survey on on breast cancer and um, laterality. So there was the oh, yeah. images of the breasts in all different positions and shapes, yeah. and, and then you had to choose left and right, and it was way harder than feet and hands well, but I thought oh my goodness I can't I'm so it's so nice to see them going there yeah and I, I just feel as a physio every day I learn something new it's just awesome <laughs> I mean it's it, it's exciting to be in a profession that's always moving and and uh, uh, there's always something new to learn yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. An hour is never enough to talk about everything <laughs> that I want to talk about. But I'm so glad that you took the time to come on and share us a little bit of insight into quite a few things. But um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, well, thanks for asking me, Laurie.